seventh week of a seven-week series on one-to-one, which has really been a discipleship message. Uh, we've talked about some great things, and I hope that you have received some things that have applied to your life. I think that uh, salvation is so important. Lordship, of course, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We talked about repentance, which means being turned around. Talked about three baptisms, uh, baptism in the body of Christ, baptism in water, baptism in the spirit. We shared with you about devotion, what that means, a devoted life. And then the church last week, Pastor Jordan did a great job sharing with us about what the church is and how it functions. And then today, you know, we're going to talk about discipleship, kind of dovetail everything together. Uh, And as we've gone through six weeks, it really has prompted a question in my heart. And that is, what will we do with what we hear? What will we do? That four-letter word, D-O, do. So many people, you know, it's like, I hear, it's good, aha, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. But then when it gets to do it, you got me a little sharp up here, bro. Uh, it, it, it comes to a place where it's like, uh, well, now, what am I going to do with what I, I'm doing, what, what, what I've got here? And so we, we, hopefully we'll answer a little bit of that today uh, as we talk about being a disciple. And to be a disciple... Uh, is an amazing thing. And we're to make disciples because Jesus said in Matthew 28 that we are to go into all the world and make disciples and to teach them all the things that Jesus has taught us. But in order to make disciples, you've got to be a disciple. So the first part of this message I want to use to talk about being a disciple. And a disciple is a student. And a student needs a classroom. It needs a school. A student needs other students. Students need a teacher, and students need textbooks. And so it is with the body of Christ, us. We are students in the kingdom of God. We have a teacher, the Holy Spirit. We have a textbook, the, the, the Word of God, the Bible. That's our textbook for this thing we call the Christian life. And uh, the thing about the, the church and discipleship is that many people sign up, but fewer people show up. Last year in this, in this auditorium and the other two auditoriums of our other campus, over 1,000 people raised their hand and said, we want to follow Jesus. And out of those 1,000 or so, a little bit over 1,000, 130 people were water baptized, which is the first command for a new believer. 13%. Now, I don't know, but as a pastor, that ain't good enough. That'd be like a teacher getting 13% of her students over the line to the next year. See, people sign up, or at least they say they do. Matter of fact, we don't even say they got saved. We say people have raised their hand and said they commit to following Jesus. Talk is cheap, and you know it is for all of us, and we've all done some cheap talk, huh? We're going to do this. I'm going to do that. I tell you what, starting next week, I'm going to do this. Like Pastor Jordan shared last week, uh, we pay a gym membership. I'll just admit, one year I paid a gym membership for me and my wife, both of us. I went there, paid the whole gym membership. We never went one time. We never went. We never went one time. Not once. The the next time I went back was to tell him, quit drafting my debit card. That's my confession for this week, to make all you slackers feel good, okay? 
sign up and show up. We need to move forward. We need to advance in this curriculum, in this kingdom, because it's not an option to advance. As a disciple, you must move forward. And Jesus says you must move forward. So uh, to move forward, though, there's a cost. Anything worth anything costs something. When people say it's free, I think it's junk. You, you ever, you ever say, and if you'll call right now, we'll give you 14 of these things. I think that's trash. You know, that's just junk. You know what I mean? But, but to be a disciple costs it. So let me read out of the book of Luke chapter 14, the very words of Jesus, our Lord, our master teacher. He came before a great multitude. There was a great multitude that went with him. In other words, he's talking to a whole group of all kinds of people here, not just his disciples, not just those ones who are close to him. He's talking to everybody. And he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, all right, let me just stop right there. And let me, let me define the word hate there so that we'll be on the right page. What that word really means is to love less. Doesn't mean to hate like I hate your guts. You know, it means to love less. So what he's saying here is that if anyone comes to me and does not love less, his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He's not going to be a student. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He signed up, but he didn't show up. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with the 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Three times he just states it straight out. That's what I love about the Lord. He's so straightforward and blunt. You understand he's saying, unless you're in all the way, you cannot be a disciple. You're not going to be a good student. You're not going to follow through. You're not going to do these things. It takes, number one, discipline to be a disciple. As a matter of fact, the word disciple comes from the word discipline. Some people are very disciplined in their life. Other people are not very disciplined. But in order to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to be disciplined. You can't be tardy to school every day. You, 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 you can't skip school with the Lord. And people are skipping school all the time. You know, for 17 years, we had a school here, and uh, I principled most of that time, the school, and just great students, great staff. And, but I noticed something as I studied as we went along. I noticed that primary students and elementary students loved school. I mean, they loved it. They did their work. They were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed every morning. They loved what they did. But then as they progressed into junior high school, middle school, junior high, and then into high school, it's like they lost all of their zeal for school. Those bright eyes were not bright anymore. That, that little hand that used to write so diligently now just flipping the pen, you know, just kind of gazing off and, and losing uh, their attention to what was going on and, and getting bored. And I see the same thing in the church a lot of times. People, they come to Christ and man, it's like, kapow, yes, oh, you are great. You break every chain, you break every chain. And then after about six years, it's like, 
Yeah, I know that. Yeah, and they just, you know, twiddle the pencil here. You know, you've got to love kingdom life, folks. And you've got to love church life. You've got to love your church. And if you don't love your church, you've got to go find a church that you can love. That's just, that's just the way it is. We've got to get into this thing. It takes discipline, and it takes two kinds of discipline, really. It takes God's discipline for our life. The Bible says in Hebrews that God will, he will discipline the people he loves, his children. And he says, he goes further, he says, and if you're not being disciplined by God, you're probably an illegitimate person. So, so if you're being disciplined, you say, well, how does the Lord discipline me? He disciplines you by removing his presence from you, by just kind of standing back off of you, by kind of lifting his hand off of you, and then your peace goes, then your joy goes, your confidence begins to wane. If you're sinning against the Lord or if you're pressing against him, he's disciplining you the same way you discipline your children. When your children are not doing what they're supposed to do, you don't go say, let's go to the ball game. Come on, hey, let's have a great family night. No, it's go to your room or sit here. And that's what the Lord will do sometimes. He'll just, just sit here. So it, it takes the discipline of, of the Lord, and that's good. It's good. We hate discipline in the present time, but the, the, the discipline of the Lord bears fruit in our life in the long run. And then we need also self-discipline. Man, I'll tell you what, you've got to have self-discipline. You got to stay connected to the Lord. When correction comes, you can't run from God. You just got to stay corrected. Man, if he's dealing with you, you got to let him deal with you. You might be miserable. You might hate it, but you need to stay connected. Good teachers. I love good teachers. During worship, I was thinking about the Lord, but I was also thinking about what I'm going to preach because preachers always think about what they got to say because you got to say something that's worth something. And I just got to thinking about one of my high school teachers, Miss Pasqua, one of my favorite teachers ever. I loved her. Uh, her and her husband owned the local movie theater in town, and, and she was a bookkeeping teacher, business teacher, and I took that, and, and she motivated us. It was just tremendous the way she worked. Uh, you know, she made you feel great. She just made you want to learn. And so, of course, as students, when you have a good teacher like that, you try to take advantage of her by getting her off track or whatever, by abusing that, that love and that, that encouragement. Uh, but man, when she, you know, she would just let us get along. Now I realize she was just letting us do what we want to do, but then all of a sudden it was like, and it was school again. I mean, she could turn in a, on a dime from talking about her, her puppy dog or whatever, her backyard, and then all of a sudden like, open up your book. And she would teach with such great motivation. And I think I now have a teacher that's much better than she ever was. His name is Holy Spirit. And he does just a great job of saying, we can play, but it's time to get with the program here. So there's discipline. But then there's also testing. You know, life is a test. And, and the amazing thing is that preparation for the test makes the test passable. You students who are graduating, you, you're saying, thank God I'm finished with tests. You ain't finished with tests. Life is a test. And you know what the amazing thing is that most of life's tests are pop quizzes. You remember when you'd walk into the classroom, man, you all, you all got it together. You're just walking up in there, man. You sit down and you got it. You ain't studied nothing. You did nothing. And all of a sudden, the teacher says, take out a pencil and a paper. What did that mean? Pop quiz. It meant a pop quiz. Oh, pop quiz. I'm failing this one. You know what I mean? 
no chance to pass this one. But the studious student, he got a big smile on his face and you hate him. You hate the smart kid. You know what I mean? Because you'd be so dumb because you're not studying. You know what I mean? You got no confidence in this thing. You sign your name, you pass in the paper. She puts a big old F on it. You feel proud. You tell all your friends, look at my F. But there are pop quizzes in life, and, and God is a, is a pop quiz master. He really is. Uh, there, there are pop quizzes all the time. One is hearing and obeying God. It's a pop quiz. It happens in the regular things of life. It's usually small promptings. It doesn't have to be anything big. Look, a good teacher knows if you know your stuff instantly. They know right off, man. Look in your eyes and tell, did you do your, are you prepared for this test? And so God just sends small promptings our way to see if we will obey them. Sometimes they're so small that we don't even notice them. Three days ago, I was getting ready for, for work, and, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit just put something on my heart, you know? And uh, just something kind of strange, but I, I just said, well, okay, I'll do it. But then I didn't do it, but then I did it. You know, you know how it goes? like, uh, I'm not going to say that. But, but then I finally said, you know, I'm going to say it because if I don't say it and, and this, what happens, because then I'll be after it and say, well, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, but I didn't do it. So I just did it. Well, guess what? It worked. You say, how you know it worked? Well, what I thought might happen if I didn't obey didn't happen, so I figured it just worked. When in doubt, give God the shout. Come on now. It's a little prompted. You're waiting for a big giant thing. Hey, follow the small thing. And then there's morality testing. Oh, morality test, especially through peer pressure. Now, peer pressure, when we say that, we always think of it's teenagers or young people, but peer pressure runs the full gamut of humanity. There's peer pressure in the classroom. There's peer pressure on the playground, the neighborhood. There's peer pressure in the, in the job site. There's all kind of pressure. And, and, and you'll be pressured to conform to the ways that are contrary to God's ways. You're not exempt from this. The pressure will come upon you, and it's a pop quiz. And it'll happen just on the job. You'll just walk in a room. All of a sudden, there'll be five people there, and they're just, they're just railing on the, on the supervisor. And all of a sudden, your morality has to be checked. Are you going to move with that or not? You say, you say well, I'm, I want God, I, I want my, well, that's just a little pop quiz. Are you going to be part of that or not? Can you pass a pop quiz? Because let me tell you something. If you don't know your pop quiz, final exam is going to be tough. You've got to pass the small things before you pass the large things. You've got to love God more than to love your peers. Let me tell you something, young people. You who are graduating, get ready because the pressure is going to be double, triple, quadruple of what it was when you were in school. Because now you're going to have freedoms that you never had before, and you're going to have to face those things, and your morality is going to be tested more so than ever before. So we have to stand strong in that. We need to be ready for the pop quizzes. The third thing is commitment. Commitment is a test. Commitment to all the important things of life. Commitment to God no matter what happens, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, no matter what good happens, no matter what bad happens. Because sometimes people leave God because something bad happens. But guess what I found? I have found after 30-something years that many people leave God because good happens. 
I've seen people come in the church, man, broke down, beat up. I mean, just in pitiful shape. And then God does great things in their life. And, and they, they want to pray for a job. I need a job. I need a job. I need a car. I need a job. I need a house. Let's pray. Let's pray. And God moves mountains. It gives them a great job, a car. And the next thing you know, they got, they're too busy for God. Did you know your blessings can turn into a curse if you don't handle them correctly? Oh, yes, they will. Oh, yes, they will. And so they have to be commitment. A disciple sticks with the program even when they fail. Failing one test does not give you an F for the entire year. I'm proof of that. Biology high school, F, 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 first semester. F, I was a smart aleck little punk. My wife saved my neck. She said, you come into my house, we're going to pass the next semester. You're going to pass biology. You need that to graduate. You come study with me every night. I said, no problem, baby. I'm coming, honey. We're going to study biology together. You hear me? <laughs> Guess what? Pass, pass, pass. Guess what then? Pass, graduate. You know what I mean? Sometimes you need somebody to, to get you with the program. And you know what? I mean, I loved her so much, and uh, I was so insecure. I had to have a girlfriend that, you know, I wasn't going to let biology stand in my way, man. I'll even learn American history for you, baby. <laughs> you understand? And so the disciple sticks with it. Students give up too easily. A new concept comes their way and just give up. I can't do it. I don't know. I can't do it. We got a cannot do attitude in America today. Young people give up so easily. So there's testings. But then third, if you want to be a disciple, there is this thing of forsaking all. Because that's a hard attitude. It's a willing heart to forsake all. What did Jesus mean when he said forsake all? This is what he meant. I really believe this is the spirit behind because one day he met a, a man who had a lot of money, a lot of possessions, and he came to Jesus and he was just kind of religious and he said, Jesus, what must I do to, to get eternal life? What must I do to make it all the way in? Jesus said, well, you know, honor your mother and father and you know, love your God, love people. He said, I've done all that since I was a little boy. I got all that down pat. And Jesus said, but you're lacking one thing. I want you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Pop quiz, huh? He never thought that would be the question when he walked up there to flaunt his religious ability. And the Bible says he went away very, very saddened because he had much possessions. In other words, he wasn't willing to forsake everything to follow Jesus. It's not a matter of God wanting to take stuff away from you to follow him. That's a wrong mentality. It's about the heart. It's all about the heart because Jesus teaches us where your treasure is, there is where your heart is. You look at where you spend your time and your money and you will find out exactly where your heart is. It's not a hard test. The answer, it's an open book quiz. Remember those? I love those. I failed many of those. I didn't even know where it was in the book. I mean, when you don't open the book, how are you going to know where's that in the book? It's open book quiz. God gives us that. Forsaking all. You know, it's not, it's not big things. When we first got saved, we were born again of God's spirit. We were saved. God spoke to me inside my heart and said, because I was in a photography big time. I mean, taking pictures, photography was everything. He said, I want you to take your camera and I want you to put it under your bed for one year. I mean, I heard that. So I took my camera, put everything in the bag and shoved it under my bed for one year. And then in the year, God spoke to me. He said, you can take pictures again now. 
What was that all about? Just a test. Uh, just a test. Will you follow that small command? Years later, we were on staff at a church in, in, in our hometown, and my pastor walked in my office one day. He said, man, I'm, I think I'm going to have to send you in any name the city. I won't name the little town because somebody might be from there. But he, he said, I, I think I need to send you there to plant a church. And I said, yes, sir. But inside my mind, I'm going to go in ballistics because this place is like the last place in the world I would want to go. I mean, like, no, please not. So I told Jan, her response was absolutely the same. Oh, my God. So, but she tells the story, and I'll just share her testimony. She said, we struggle with this because God is testing. And she said one day she was fixing the bed, and when she pulled the covers over up to the top of the bed, she said, Lord, I will go. I will go. We, we just said, Lord, we will go. If that's what you want, we will go. And a week later, my pastor walked in my office. He said, Van, forget all that. I'm sending somebody else. And I said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> last week, a week before last on vacation, we went, we passed through that place. <laughs> I love Gulfport, Mississippi. I love you, all of you people. I love this church. I love this speaker. I love, I love. Oh, I love everything about here. You say, was it a test? I think it was a test. I think it was a test. I think that uh, God test. About six and a half, seven years ago, by this time I'm 20 years into an organization. I'm on the board of directors. I'm on the council. I'm, I'm working with many churches, overseeing many churches. And the Lord began to move upon us that the change needed to take place. Now, I'd given 20, 20 years, 20 years of my life into this organization. And the Lord just kept dealing and dealing. Said, you've got to move. You've got to move. You've got to go. He even told me why I had to go. I had to go for the future of this church and the future of the young men that I was mentoring that would take this church. And so with everything in us, we just stepped away from that. We dropped everything, all of the leadership, 20 years of investment in that organization, all, all, all of the, the, the presbytery over all of the churches, and a lot of relationships just were severed in that thing. And I just had to back away because the Lord said, it's time to move. Now, let me tell you something. If I couldn't put a camera bag under a bed for a year... I'm not sure I could give up 20 years of my life. Because when I go for something, I go all the way in. And to uproot all that, I don't think I could have done it. You see, you've got you to pass the weekly test if you're going to make a passing grade on the six, eight, or nine-week exam. You hear what I'm saying? So don't despise the small things that you feel God is prompting you to do we need to move forward with this. These are the costs of discipleship. I love what David said. He said, I'm not giving anything that hasn't cost me something. So there's cost. But then there's fruit. There's fruit of discipleship. And the fruit of discipleship really is influence. Influence is a big deal. Influence is wonderful. Each one of you have influence. Let me just give you some, some ideas about your influence, because Jesus said, I want you to be a disciple, but then he said, I want you to go make disciples. 
Now, making disciples is just not the job of the pastors. Hello? You have the responsibility to make disciples, and you have the influence to do it. You have to recognize your influence. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, so one of them, he said, you are the salt of the earth. He said, that's what you are. He said, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salt again? It will be thrown out and trampled under the foot is worthless. You are the light of the world. What is Jesus talking about here, that you're the light of the world? He said, you're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We have influence. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. Then he turned around and says, you are. Like he is, we are. Like he is in this world, we are in this world. <clears throat> we are light. We are the only light in the world. The church is the only light in the world. Believers are the only people who possess light. You've got something that kings and governments do not have. You've got wisdom that intellectuals do not have. You have influence. It's right there. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. You say, I don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel like. When I turn a light on in my kitchen, it's coming on. You hear me? And if it doesn't come on, I'm going to mess with it. And, and if it's burned out, I'm unscrewing it in the trash, new light, instantly. I will not have a burned out light in my kitchen. Nowhere in my house. My wife will testify. When it goes out, I'm going to the closet, getting the light bulbs. Here I go, climbing up. I'm going. We are the light of the world. We are the salt. He said, well, what, what, you just walk in a room. I'm light. I love to walk in a dark place. Some of you are trying to get out of a dark place because you want to come work at the church or some Christian organization. You know what I mean? When God's got you right where he wants you because then you can shine. I love to walk into a dark room. It's like, oh, here I am. <laughs> hey, y'all. Confident but not cocky. If you got light, you got light. And if you're shining, you're shining. You don't have to shine. Some people want to shine. You, wanna just, you know what I mean? It's like, like. Let me tell you something. So silly. Be that old religious, hard shell, religious person. Nobody wants that. People hate that. They're tired of that. The new generation going to vomit that out. But salt, man. Hey, look. Can you imagine what a gumbo would be like without salt? <laughs> My goodness. Sometimes, Jan, she make a gumbo. She say, taste it. Tell me what you got. I say, baby, oh, it's so good. Got that salt up in there, baby. You see, salt makes things better. Your salt will make things better. Your job, I want you to go there tomorrow and salt that thing. <laughs> Be that light. Tomorrow morning when you walk in that plant or you walk in that, that, that warehouse or you walk wherever you are, that office, you just walk up in there just smiling. You know what you're saying? I'm the light of the world. And I'm outshine everybody just because I am light. You recognize your influence, then you develop your influence. Folks, you need to develop your influence. You all have it, but not all use it. You say, well, how do I develop my influence? Well, use it. Let's see. How about this? Coach a t-ball team. I know that's not religious enough for some of you. Get out there and coach a team. How about become a member of the PTA? And then when they start talking about certain curriculum and all that, you're the light of the world. You get to salt that thing down with wisdom, not fussing and gripe. Don't fuss and gripe. 
confident people. That's what I love about police officers. They won't fuss with you. Step out of the car, sir. <clears throat> I'm not getting out of the car. Sir, I said, step out of the car. I love it when they tell me to step out the car. <laughs> that Texas State Trooper, I was speeding through Texas one day. He stopped me. He come around and he said, sir, step out of the car. And I get out of the car. I mean, he had the hat and everything on, you know. He said, come here. He said, stand right here. And he put his finger on the ground. You know what I did? He had confidence. You need to have confidence. Your influence needs, you know, be part of a volunteer for a field day at your kid's school. And then let people see how you work when you invest in things. How about this? Invest in your family, mom and dad. How about be light in your house? Oh, come on now. How about be salt up in the, in the living room, in the backyard? How about influencing your children? How about becoming such a great disciple of Christ that you're able to disciple your own family? That you're able to take your son alongside and say, son, this is not the way life should be. What you just witnessed is not the way God would do it, but God would do it this way. And then you quote scripture and you bring him to the word of God and you bring him into life issues and you teach him how to be a man. You understand? That's what being a disciple is and making disciples. That's using your influence. Instead of passing off your influence to other people who may or may not do as you would do. But then we need to be an influence. We need to be an influence, and you do that by telling your story. I love 1 Peter 3.15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. I wonder how long it's been since you have shared your story with somebody of what God has done in your life. Even deeper, I wonder how many of you have never shared your story about what God has done in your life. Even deeper, I believe some of you don't even have a story of what God has done in your life. Our story is the most powerful influence we have. When you start telling people about how good God is, you, you know, there, there are things you need to, to tell them. You, you, you need, first of all, tell them it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did. The worship we just say, it's all about Jesus. It's sharing his love. It's, it's being honest. It's not attacking the person and what they believe. It's not being ultra-religious or super-spiritual. It's about developing a boldness in the power of God to see the Holy Spirit transform somebody's life simply because you shared with them how good God is. You don't have to share with them how mean God is or how bad they are. Let me tell you something. When you tell your story, the Holy Spirit will take that story and he will do a work in people's lives. He will convict them of their sin. He will, whatever he needs to do, he will do. He will just use your life, your witness, your witness. You have to understand that your role is a witness, not a judge, not a jury, not an executioner. None of that. You, you don't distort the gospel by telling people God's going to do all kinds of things that he may or may not do. You can't tell them if you come to Jesus, he'll fix everything that's wrong in your life. You can't distort the gospel. You've got to share your story. And then you need to end always with saying, you know what? And my story is not finished yet. Don't make it more than it is. Don't make it less than it is. 
Don't blow up your sin so much that, that, that you, you are like the champion sinner of all times. But don't be so falsely humble that you don't project the power of God to change a life and to help people. I just want to show you a clip real quick that I think might help us with an urgency in sharing our story. Go ahead and put that up, bro. I had a vision. I saw a dark and stormy ocean. In that ocean, I thought I saw multitudes of poor human beings plunging and floating and shouting and shrieking, cursing and struggling and drowning. And out of this dark, angry ocean, I saw a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the stormy seas. And all around the base of the rock, I saw a vast platform. And on this platform, I saw with delight a number of the poor wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that some of those who were already safe on the platform were fervently helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach safety. But something puzzled me. Although they had all been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. Anyway, the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them. And what was equally strange and perplexing to me was that most of these people did not seem to have any care, that is, any agonizing care, about the poor perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their eyes. But then I saw something wonderful. I saw a great being from above come straight from his palace, right through the dark clouds, and he leapt right into the raging sea among the drowning people. And there I saw him toiling to rescue them until the sweat of his great anguish ran down in blood. And he was continually crying to those already rescued, to those whom he had helped with his own bleeding hands, to come and help him in the painful and laborious task of saving the lost. But the strangest thing of all was that those on the platform to whom he called were so taken up with their trades and professions and money saving and pleasures and families and community and gatherings and religions and arguments about it that they did not respond to the cry that came to them from this wonderful being who had himself by his spirit gone down into the sea. And so the multitude went on struggling and shrieking and drowning in the darkness. And then I saw something that seemed stranger than anything that had happened before in this very strange vision. Those whom this wonderful being cried out to to come and help him in his difficult task were always praying and crying to him to come to them. Some wanted him to come and stay with them and spend his time and strength in making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning the truth of some letters which he had written them. Others wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be totally sure they would never slip off again. 
they used to meet and get as close to the rock as they could, and looking towards the mainland where they thought the great being was, they would cry out, come to us, come and help us. But all this time, he was down among the poor drowning creatures, crying to them in a hoarse voice, come to me, come and help me. And then I understood it all. It was plain enough. That sea was the ocean of life, the sea of real, actual human existence. Those multitudes of people struggling in the stormy sea were the billions of sinners from every race, language, and nation. That great sheltering rock was Calvary, the place of the cross. And the people on it were those who had been rescued from sin and hell and who professed to be followers of Jesus Christ. That mighty being who called to them from the tempest was the Son of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is still struggling to save the dying multitudes about us from this terrible doom of damnation, and whose voice can be heard above the music and machinery and noise of life, calling on the rescued to come and help him save the world. My friends in Christ, you are rescued from the waters. You are on the rock. Jesus is in the dark sea, calling on you to come and help him. Will you go? Will you go? Will you take your influence? And will you reach out to the family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors that you know who are not connected to Jesus Christ and put a value on that rather than only valuing the gathering together of us in a room to hear the message that we should be using our influence to project to those who don't know Jesus. I think it's a great test. I think it's something that we cannot look away from any longer. But we must spirit-led, but yet methodically, tell people about Jesus. I want to pray with you right now. And I want to ask the Lord to penetrate our hearts to where we will share His wonderful good news with people that we know those people that God has put into our life that God will use us to change for all of eternity. I want you to pray with me right now and as we pray, I want you to open your heart up to God. Examine where you are in the whole mix of discipleship. See where you are in this vision that William Booth had. Are you drowning in the sea, in a lifeboat, on a rock? caught up valuing the things that have no value father we are standing before you right now and lord we are at a place where we need to hear a word from you that will propel us into something more valuable than what we've been involved in lord you bless us and we thank you for that you help us and we thank you for that but Lord, we're praying for laborers to enter the harvest field. 
And Lord, if we pray for laborers to enter the harvest field, we must be willing to go ourselves. We want to be disciplined by you, Lord God. We want to pass tests. Father, we want to forsake all to follow you. So I pray, Lord God, that you will give revelation to all of your people that are sitting in this room right now. And that by your stripes, Lord God, we would understand the cost of discipleship. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. I'd like for you to just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed now for just a moment. We never missed at any service to leave without giving opportunity for people to consider their condition in Christ and to make a decision to follow him. It's not my responsibility to make you live for God, but I have a responsibility to introduce you to the great Lord and God, Jesus Christ, who will save your soul. Some of you have come into this room and you don't have a story because you've never really met the one who gives the story. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I will tell you that living for Jesus is the best life there is. It has nothing to do with a lot of the things that we think blessed life is. The peace that passes our understanding can only be given by Christ. Eternal life only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The anointing, the power, the grace of God that is given to people who believe to overcome every obstacle to keep us in Christ is what living for Jesus is all about. So if you're sitting in that chair right now and you know that you do not have a relationship with God or you don't even understand it, you've never been born again of God's spirit, you really just are not sure of anything concerning eternal life or the things of the spirit of God. But there's a desire in your heart right now to raise your hand and say, you know what, I want want to know Jesus. If you're in this room right now and that's you, I'm gonna pray for you right where you are. It's gonna start this wonderful life And all you need to do right now is simply acknowledge the Lord and say, I want to follow you. If that's you, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just shoot your hand up right now. If you're willing to pay the price for being a disciple, just shoot it up high so I can see it. I see one on the back row, one person. There's another person there. That's another person there. Three people in this room say, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't mean to badger you, but there are so many of you that don't know Jesus. I'm fearful that you'll never know him. I'm going to ask one more time, and then I'm going to pray for those. If you're not sure about your relationship with God, I want you to shoot your hand up and say, I want to serve him. Anybody else that you haven't raised your hand, shoot it up. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, over there. Thank you. raise your hand. Let me just pray with you right now. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, a simple prayer. Just say these simple words. Say, Father in heaven, I am separated from you right now. My sin separates me from you. But I confess my sin before you. I repent of my sin. And I ask your forgiveness. And I invite you to come live inside of me and make me the person you want me to be. I want to follow you. And I will, Lord God, with the help of your grace, 
I will serve you all the days of my life. And now I thank you for saving me today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. I want to thank the Lord for those who decided, who said they decided to follow Jesus. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.